there. Chocolate mousse. I can't talk too long. I gotta poo. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. <laughs> was it, what was it though? Was it three tongued Mary or I can't remember? Four toed Mary. Oh, uh, I, I keep wanting to say six toed Linda because that was the girl that I went to high school with. <laughs> And it, it is like two-toed Mary or something like that. It's nonsense. Um, <laughs> speaking of nonsense, hey, everyone. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. I snuck in at the beginning of the show. How dare you? This is Lucy Goosey, baby. This is this is a hype episode is what this is, Duncan. <laughs> As if we need that. Yeah. This is a hype episode because uh, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be beginning the new season of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. In this case, it is the uh, Duncan and Bo get terrified as mm-hmm. we watch uh, the second season of the Terror entitled "The Terror Infamy." We're going to be doing it um, too young to die hard style, oh, dear. Um, where we do a couple episodes uh, per, and yep. um, yeah, so it's very exciting. We'll that that is going to be coming soon. In the meantime, though, Duncan, here's what we decided to do because we love the listeners so very, very much. I love how you say decided. This was not thrust upon me at all. It's not um, Bo exercising his goddamn given right as an American to force his opinions I, on someone else. I said, hey, should we do this? And slut. Slut. And you said, uh, between cocksuckings. <laughs> Which was difficult. Yeah, it was like, yes. Apparently, my cocksucking noise is reminiscent of Arnie trying to break at the chair in Total Recall. (laughs) Get to the caca now. (laughs) And that is just the kind of scintillating humor you can expect on... The next season of Duncan and Bo come correct, called Duncan yeah. and Bo get terrified. So I'm not a fluffer. <laughs> who is your daddy, and who does he blow for a living? <laughs> yeah, so we're we're, we're going to do the ultra serious TV show, uh, the Terror season two. But before we get to that, knowing that we've been away for what two feels like two weeks, maybe three, uh, but probably about three weeks at this point, but. We yeah, so we thought we we do a movie catch up. So when we did the first episode of the show, uh, proper, it wasn't three and a half hours long because we were like, guess what else I saw? <laughs> so we're gonna do uh, this episode entitled "Guess What Else I Saw." <laughs> apparently, <laughs> and apparently, it's your idea. <laughs> just now it was, and yes. Uh, so I'm I'm excited, Duncan, because it is the Halloween season. It is, yes. Uh, this very night, I, we're, you know, I do my movie nights I've talked about on the show before. And mm-hmm. uh, we're doing Trick or Treat tonight, which includes uh, sort of a, a, a caramel apple station. Where, uh, you know, you can dip your caramel apple and then there's all kinds of stuff you can put on it. And there you go. And we're going to make caramel apples and watch Trick or Treat. It's a good move. You are the best friend. Uh, you really are. Right? <laughs> so, you like that. Dip your caramel apple. It's bad. No expense. Yeah. Oh, no. There's, 
Heath Crunchel, Crunches is, is one of the options. Walnuts, pecans. Oh, dear. Butterscotch. What do you want, Duncan? I'm not what? used to my mouth just instantly filling with saliva. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, but I'm also uh, jazzed because we get to talk about some spooky movies mm. uh, that have, have come down the pipe. And uh, and Duncan, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off. Ooh, and so do. and and I'll tell you, I'm actually going off of Letterboxd is how I'm doing this. Oh, nice. And it, and if you want to join in, it, we can make a fun little game of it where if we've seen the same movie, we'll compare ratings. So, I like the sound of this. So uh, I'm gonna kick us off with a Netflix film uh, inspired by the works of Stephen King and Joe Hill entitled In the Tall Grass. Yes, I have seen that as well, and I have also posted on Letterboxd. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> so I think you and I had different experiences with this movie. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, what, you you rated it wildly higher than I did? No, not hardly. I mean, I think my grade's uh, it's a three and a half. I mean, right. that's down the middle. <laughs> I did not think this was a down the middle movie. I, you didn't? No, oh. I I thought this was kind of a stupid movie. Um, and, well, is this? Well, yeah, but right, we'll get into it. Right, you you put your case out first, and I will tell you why you're not wrong, but why I maybe forgive it more than you. Okay, so I think it's got a cool premise, and I I was a bit sucked in for the first twenty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Then when it started to get a little timey-wimey, uh, I was like, eh, I don't know that this movie is, like, th- th- this plot is starting to feel a little rickety. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, slight spoilers, uh, by which I mean total spoilers, um, it, so it turns out there's just a giant rock that makes you crazy in the middle of the, the grass. It sounds like something Stephen King would write. It totally sounds like a, a short story that I would read and be like, yeah, this was a story. <laughs> and I think their performances are kind of like they're all fine. Mm-hmm. Um it, it like none of that stuff is bad. Uh it, like and it, you know Vincenzo Dentali uh knows how to direct stuff. And there's oh, some, yeah, he's there's, a good director. Yeah, and there's some good sequences. But at the end of the day, I just I it was hard for me to take any of it seriously because mm-hmm. it just felt so inherently dumb. And, and I also, like I said, I don't think the time travel stuff was terribly well defined. No, because I don't, I, I think as soon as you start to define it, it like the seams really show on how rickety this plot is mm-hmm. of the like, well then why did he show up at this time and not this other time? And like, it, anyway, like, well, does he have superpowers because of the rock, or is he just angry because of the rock? And anyway, it's all a bunch of nonsense. And at the end of the day, I was like, would I recommend this to somebody? Probably not. I would probably tell them <laughs> there's much better stuff for you to watch than in the tall grass. But uh, so why why am I wrong and or right, but also not entirely right? You, you. I mean, everything you're saying isn't wrong. I mean, the plot is paper thin. I mean, I, mean, I can see through the plot. That's how thin it is. Um, and yeah, like you're also right in acknowledging, but I would say it's probably the right decision uh, from 
uh, Natali here is that, I mean, he's going from the source material, which I am assuming the source material has something about time travel. So if it's from a short story, you your job is to try and translate that to screen. And we know from past experience, there is no really great defined time travel story like that's been committed to screen. Because whenever you stop to think about it, it will just like unravel like a, a paper mache doll which has been put in a car wash. You know what I mean? It's, it, you know, there is no, because we don't really know much about time travel, it's difficult to translate to the screen. Um, I think the performances for the most part are pretty good. Uh, I think um, some of the premises, some of the actual one shots of horror in it are actually, once again, pretty good. I think the biggest issue for me is not even the time travel. It's that this movie is maybe about a 45-minute worth of ideas, which they then stretch out for an additional hour. And as a result of that, you repeat very similar. It basically goes back and loops and repeats similar things over and over again, to which I start to lose purchase with it overall. That being said, it's a really well-constructed movie. I think it's shot beautifully. I think some of the scenes they do are, are really clever. I think it's a dumb story. <laughs> like, I think it's a really dumb story, and I think uh, Natalie did the best he could with it. I was entertained. I probably will never watch it again. Um, if if I was to be challenged in my grade, maybe I scored a point five over, but it, it, I liked the movie. I, I mean, I didn't dislike the movie. I wouldn't necessarily go out my way to recommend it, but at the same time, though, when I was watching it for that time period, I enjoyed what I saw. It's just, I think you're right. I think there's there are issues in the source material which I think a lot of that come back to... Like, we know Vicenzo Natale can direct the shit out of things, so... And he adapted the short story. So I want to I want to say that, and it's, this is the downside of Netflix as well as the upside. The upside of Netflix is that filmmakers get to do whatever they want with Netflix money. And the downside is that filmmakers get to do whatever they want with Netflix money. You don't have a studio, which let's be honest, we don't want them interfering, but at times a studio's instincts of, well, this is too long, chop this out. Um, a really good editor working on behalf of a studio can sometimes um, target and focus your production in something which is more palatable. This movie should never be longer than an hour and 20 minutes long at all, ever. And the fact that it goes on for about an hour and 45 plus, maybe, is criminal. On a front to God and man, says Duncan McLeish. <laughs> Yeah, I think I really, I think I really, my, my issue with it was, like I say, we got to a certain point where I was like, and maybe there's a artistic reason for it, but I was watching it going, well, we've done this, but like, why are we doing this? But again, and the the justification and reasoning for the stone in the middle um, is, as my grandmother would say, sugarly, uh, which means not not sturdy at all. <laughs> like, it really isn't. The more I thought about it, the more I thought this is ridiculous. But sure. Patrick Wilson's great in it. Yep. He's a great on screen presence. Made a great villain. I was watching it thinking actually. Um, I know we've already, I think they've already cast uh, Randall Flagg, but Patrick Wilson wouldn't be a bad shout for that at all. I think he'd be great as it. I, I like him, seeing him in a villainous role, we don't often get to see it. Um, and like I say, a couple of the scenes themselves, the trauma of finding a loved one or a, a beloved pet, like 
decaying because from from your perspective it's only been a couple of minutes but from their perspective it's been days I think it's a really interesting one I just don't think overall it all works together but like I say uh, maybe a 3 3.5 might be slightly high but I wouldn't go much below I don't think it's a bad movie Um, I just think it's baggy yeah well this is the difference in our scales which we've discussed before which I think 2.5 means average Yes, whereas I work on the old Netflix grade, so two and a half would be somewhere between liking it and not liking it. Yeah. Um, and to me, I liked it. I, 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 yes, I think I think you're right. I think our, our scales work. If I was going t- from a technical perspective, yeah, it's probably fifty percent. So right. I, I'd probably I would, I would side with you there on a technical grade. All right. Well, technically, then Duncan, what Uh-oh. what do you want to throw at me? <laughs> Because I, uh, I got, I'm loaded up here. I can fire him. <laughs> I'm pepper him right at you. Uh, let's pick one that completely destroyed my brain as to how it has like 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and is heralded as one of the top 10 horror movies of 2019. Have you checked out Nightmare Cinema yet? I have not. That is, it's actually on my list of things to ask you, hey, should I watch this? <laughs> Put on your list of things to avoid. Yeah, Dear I mean, I'll God. tell you I'll tell you what tells me I don't need to see it is directed by Mick Garris. Well, yeah, direct one of the shorts is directed by Mick Garris and he does the linking story mm-hmm. in it. But you have Joe Dante who I mean has has garnered enough goodwill from me to always come back and check out what he's doing. Uh, Rehui Kitamura the dude behind Versus, mm-hmm. he does a short in it. Um, David Slade, the guy that did 30 Days of Night, he That's does a short right. one. Yeah. yeah, and the dude that did One of the Dead, which I didn't find overly interesting, mm-hmm. um, he somehow has been risen to the lofty <laughs> lofty statue and been on the same one as again, Joe Dante. Um, yeah, it's a, it is Chit. For oh. lack of a better word, the the best the best short on it is done by Joe Dante, and I would say that if it was in any other anthology, I would say that was the bad one. Um, Mickey Rourke inexplicably is in the Lincoln story as the devil, and it's kind of set out as a yeah, and his face is as plastic as a plastic devil now. Um, it's kind of the Lincoln story set out almost as a Doctor uh, Terror's train of. Uh, House of Horrors, sorry, where instead of a train, they're all in a cinema. People come in and they sit down and what is projected on the screen is a version of how they will die or alternate idea of what might happen to them or some pish. Um, And yeah, it is badly acted. It is badly shot. It is overly long. And yeah, like I say, Joe Dante's one is weird (laughs) and everything else is shit. So, but, once again, and I don't know if this is because critics don't want to offend filmmakers, God forbid, um, yeah, it's sitting about 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's classed as one of the top 10 horror movies of the year, and people that have graded that should be shocked. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not, not for, like, censorship and dictatorship, but if ever there was a time to start doing it, it'd be off the back of reviews for this movie. Um, it's, it's awful. It's like one of the worst anthologies I've seen in a while, considering the names that are attached to it. Well, all right. I mean, that tracks. When when I saw this, uh, this pitched, I was like, I don't. This this sounds like it's not going to be very good. 
No, and it's definitely not. What? But what do you think accounts for the love it's getting? Do you think it's just you know enough people saying like, eh, it's fine? I think it's more that Joe Dante and Mick Garris are beloved, even if they're like uh, Joe Dante is a, a and I, I can't stress enough that guy got me right through my childhood. He basically shaped my childhood through his output in the 80s. I mean, I, I think his run from Piranha right up to Matinee is, there's not a bad movie in there. In fact, all of them are fucking great. So, and that's, it spans over a decade. Um, he kind of lost his way late 90s, but he did things like, I like Small Soldiers. I think Small Soldiers is a good movie as well, but he kind of lost his way, but he is beloved. He is really, like, there's a, I think there's a lot of critics out there who really respect Joe Dante and a lot of filmmakers as well, etc. Yeah. I think McGarris kind of falls in a different way in that his movies are not good, but his involvement in the horror community as this kind of bastion of of kind of not only writing but of um, promoting horror movies and, and through his podcasts and stuff that he's done in the past, I think garners him a lot of goodwill as well. That I think when this was released, I think a lot of publications, because of the people involved with it, and probably most likely because they know them personally, have decided to pull their punches away from where they should be going, which is straight in the face of this movie. I don't get it. I, I don't get how in any rational world... Um, <laughs> anyone can look at this and say it's a good anthology because it's not. It really isn't. It's, um actually made me... Remember that uh, Double X? The Yeah, yeah. It actually makes Double X look good. Uh, and that was not a good anthology. <laughs> I, I don't think it's great. I think I liked it more than most people because I thought one one of the stories was good. One of the stories was good. The rest were not good. One, but... was, one was interesting if <laughs> if imperfect... And then everything else was pretty forgettable. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, I, I get the feeling you probably will off the back of what I've said, go and check it out. That's the thing. I know what you're like. You'll be like, surely it's not as bad as Duncan said. It really is. It's not a good movie at all. And you would be wasting two hours of your life to get through that. I might di- dip in just to see the Dante one. Yes. The Dante <laughs> one's interesting considering it's coming from him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious about that because I'm one of those people that thought like burying the X wasn't the worst movie I ever saw. It's not, and he's got his new project, the one that's been. Do you know about his new project that's been funded by Spectre Vision? Uh, I yes, but tell me what it is because I've forgotten. Uh, so basically, it's a, a kind of biopic of Roger Corman, but specifically through he made a movie about an LSD trip. Oh, yeah, called The Trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, called The Trip. And the movie is actually about the fact that Jack Nicholson, a very young Jack Nicholson, basically told Roger Corman that there's no way he could make a movie about taking LSD without actually taking LSD, so they got him high as fuck. So that's... <laughs> that's that sounds the movie. fantastic. Yeah, Dante's apparently been trying... Because, well, you know his background with with Corman anyway. He's been trying to make this movie for apparently years and no one has ever been able to fund it. And the guys from Spectre Vision have finally said that they will pony up the money, so... Well, you know what else Spectre Vision is behind is the uh, Richard Stanley Color Out of Space. Yes, which I have not seen. 
no, and no, I want no. to see. Oh, but boy, yeah, they're doing lots of they're doing fucking shitloads of interesting things. Yeah. Elijah Wood uh, and his and his partner in crime over there are doing real. They're financing really interesting projects. I mean, they were behind Mandy. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have had Mandy without them. But yes, yeah, so this is the apparently though the thing that's kind of when I heard the cast, I thought that would be perfect. Apparently, uh, David Hader was originally he. Um, auditioned for the role of Corman years ago before he became famous. And um, like Joe Dante, do you listen to Joe Dante's podcast at all? I don't, know. Oh man, you should get on that one. It's fucking awesome. I love it because he just knows everything about everything. He has a story behind everything. It's him and Josh Olsen, the writer. Okay. Director, uh, do a podcast and it's called The Movies That Made Me. So it's basically a spin-off of their trailers from Hell that they do online, which is also amazing if you don't check that out. Um, but yeah, it's the movies that made me, and they just get on filmmakers, actors, directors, and they talk about, they pick a couple of movies and talk about how they shape their love of cinema. But you get all these stories in between. It's fucking brilliant, but that's how I know about the the Dante thing. Sadly, I had to be listening to catch up with that podcast off the back of knowing that he made a shit fucking short in his shit anthology. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 people out there just avoid nightmare cinema. Did you, did you give it a star rating? I gave it two and, and hindsight, I would have given it one. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Let me, uh, let me toss one hot over the plate, Duncan. Ooh, I'm ready. Uh, this one is in my favorite, uh, horror franchise. Uh, it's called Annabelle comes home. <laughs> I finally <laughs> caught up to this, uh, directed by Gary Doberman. Yeah, I saw this at the cinema, so yeah, um, I have graded this. <laughs> what was what was your grade? I saw it back in July. I gave it three and a half stars. Wow, that seems generous. Um, I thought <laughs> another situ- uh, scenario where I think this movie is total shit. I thought this was this felt like a Disney Channel horror movie. It's interesting. My exact notes say like an adult, like an adult goosebumps meets thirteen ghosts. That's how I described that. Right, but both of those things are way better than Annabelle Comes Home. I don't know about that. Thirteen Ghosts has not aged well. Thirteen Ghosts wasn't good even then, but it's still, (laughs) it's still more entertaining than Annabelle Comes Home because it's at least bonkers. And Annabelle Comes Home is the most by the numbers bullshit of the like it is hey what does this item do what ghost is attached we're bound to see that in a few minutes but of course that scene won't matter really you're just gonna see it uh-huh. and then at the end uh what's his face comes home patrick wilson and vera formiga come home and they're like you crazy kids did you <laughs> let that demon doll out <laughs> And they're like, sorry. <laughs> it's, man, that movie is just, it can go fuck itself. I hate Annabelle Comes Home so much. It is You hate it? Yeah, wow. It, it is one of those movies that is like, this is the cynical, how do we keep this franchise going? Oh, wait, we've got this, you know, spooky room and uh full of haunted shit and Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson all we got to do is dump a back a back a dump truck full of money up to their house 
and they'll show up for what a day maybe two and do these scenes and then the rest of the movie is just going to be one of the worst teen horror movies you ever saw and it's just bookended by somewhat classy actors totally slumming it for a couple of days in Toronto or whatever to get this movie out the door. It it just felt like a cash grab. It does, there's not an ounce of originality anywhere in its body. Um, and even even if it like I'm okay with a movie that is routine, even if it just feels like somebody gave a shit that there was some reason other than what the box office might be for this movie to exist, and it didn't seem like the cast cared. It's lazily directed. The script is, like I said, incredibly lazy. It just feels like a real wet fart of a movie. <laughs> wow. just, a, just a real... Tell us what you really think, Bo. Yeah, I mean, this isn't my favorite franchise to begin with. And then when you just do like the copy of a copy of a copy that this feels like, of a thing that I already don't like that much, I'm just like, oh, you can just keep all of it. So why? I, but why am I wrong? You seem to enjoy it. I, yeah, no, I, I thought it was entertaining. I saw it in a packed cinema, um, and it, it, to me, the scares worked—not on me, but worked on the audience in there. And I've told you before, part of going to see a movie like this, I'm never going to be scared by a movie like Annabelle. Like I'm never like it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but part of the enjoyment, from my perspective, is if I get a chance to see a horror movie with a crowd of people and it works on them, that sometimes elevates the experience of you and experience for me. Cause I can see, cause it's not aimed at me and it's not aimed at you. I mean, we, we know it's pain by numbers. I can tell it's pain by numbers. I can tell you when the scares are going to happen before the scares happen. I can, you know, I, I, I'm sitting there like picking out every single little detail. All right. I know what that means. Or I know this is coming, but when I sit in an audience full of people who are, tripped up and genuinely scared or get jump scares by those elements, then, I mean, I wouldn't say that the filmmakers made a bad job. We just didn't do what was required to get that reaction from me. So, I can, I, you know, I can kind of let off with that. I thought some of the... There's, there's at least two ghosts in there that I thought were actually really interesting. And if they ended up getting spin-offs, I would probably watch them. <laughs> like, oh, there was, God, uh, Duncan, you're part of the problem. Uh, but the thing I'm th- the thing is, right, is I I'm not you know this already, I'm not the biggest fan of this the Wanaverse thing. I wa- I saw that curse of La Llorona um earlier on in the year and it's terrible. And yeah. I've watched the nun and the nun is terrible. Um, Annabelle, the first one I didn't like the second one I actually thought was alright and this one I liked it a little bit less but definitely liked it more than the first one um, so yeah I, I mean I'm not like hmm. I'm not saying that this is a great movie uh, but my viewing experience back in July was entertaining I, I, I was entertained by the movie mostly because it is so silly, so absurd, and you hit the nail on the head. Like the, the parents coming back and literally being like, "Oh, you could have doomed and killed an entire neighborhood." Oh, you silly kids! I mean, part of me laughs at that. It's no more absurd than Goosebumps. Um, it's just this is aimed for a slightly older market. Once again, not a, a thirty-year-old man. This movie's still aimed at me. I'm not their demographic. Um, and yeah, I, I could 
like shake my fist and be oh deal with that. But I imagine what my dad was like um, if he'd went to see something like fucking Night of the Creeps in the eighties. He would have been like, "This movie's fucking awful, and the world is going to hell." Don't um, you, you know, dare compare Night of the Creeps to Annabelle comes home. No, what I'm saying is, it's all about it's all about generational experiences. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, yeah, like, maybe so. You're you're probably right. And I watched this alone. You know, just catching up with it to be. Oh right. yeah, I would I never like watch I this movie this. alone. It yeah. would it would land it would land like a dead fart. You're right. It'd, it'd be like the the worst experience. This is the epitome of go and see it in the cinema. And it, eleva- it will elevate it because other people, you are getting off through other people, get, you know, getting scares. All right, well, and that's why a movie like The Curse of La Llorona didn't work because I was once again in a packed cinema and no one moved at all in that movie. So you don't that there's not even that to elevate it for me. And when you don't have that, that's when a movie fails. So and look for. Uh, by the way, uh, it hasn't been announced yet. We're breaking the news here. You heard. <laughs> That uh, Sam Raimi's making his return to horror. What you I didn't know did hear that. <laughs> is that he's going to be the director of Annabelle Goes Bananas, coming out twenty twenty one. If you try to tell me you wouldn't go and see an Annabelle movie directed by Sam Raimi, I will spit in your face and es- call you a liar. Especially if it were called Annabelle Goes Bananas. Oh, of course, like, you imagine like Raimi just. Like, whatever he does, we know that he's got a horror movie in the bag, and I know exactly that whatever that guy delivers, it's not going to be as good as I want it to be, but I've got a feeling it's going to be mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think so too. Um, all right, so you, uh, of course, scored Annabelle Comes Home, three and a half stars. I <laughs> you was, scored it much lower. <laughs> I was just a hair under that at one and a half, <laughs> which is the barely a movie score. <laughs> Where one one star is really the one that's just like this isn't even close. Like the, they have failed at the task of making a film. Well, um, let's get into this one then, because this yeah. is one that you, you we have spoken about briefly in the past, and you said that you wanted to speak about it once I'd seen it. Yeah, ready or not. Yeah, ready or not. Um, I think uh, speaking of down the middle horror movies, this felt um down the middle but elevated by a good central performance. There are a couple of gags that really worked for me. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I wished it had been a little bit more mean-spirited. It's, it take, my, my issue with Ready or Not is that it, even though it's like an hour and a half long, I think it takes too long to get into it. Yes. I think the humor, the humor doesn't really kick in until about the 40-minute mark. And that to me felt like a, like a weird tonal shift. Up till that mark, there's no comedy at all. Like there's a couple of lines where you're like, "Oh, right, that's kind of pithy," all right? But <laughs> you, you mean it's, it's, it's like that? But then it becomes like almost slapstick comedy for a little bit. And I was like, "Right, this feels weird." Um, and then it goes completely bananas at the end, which I will give it a hundred percent credit for because. Yeah. Once it, once you start playing with those ideas, if you don't turn straight into them and drive right into the crazy, you will get an angry Duncan. You know, what I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hint at something like it does in this movie, you better deliver it, and it does do that. I think you're right. Central performance is great. Um, it is surprisingly lacking on the kills for mm-hmm. the most part, but I think that comes down to the fact that it's um, a group of people a set group of people which isn't many to begin with hunting one 
that you know if you start picking them off earlier then the impact of the the very end of that movie is lessened somewhat because there's less people to kablooey <laughs> seeing nothing you more know, about it let me yeah i to that point and we won't spoil what that is no but but i i agree that it kind of sticks the landing i think but i think the 85 minutes leading up to it is eh, and then the last five minutes is pretty pretty good yeah uh, but the other thing is i wish that the central character i you know i think that it's an unfair comparison because i love i love uh uh your next so much more oh your next is uh, there's no way but, to review this movie and not think of your next right it's but almost impossible Your the thing that's so much fun about your next is that almost immediately the, the, your protagonist is like Fuck this! I'm gonna yeah. murder all of them, and yeah, and you um, you're so on her side, and she becomes almost a superhero. But it's yeah. it's so good, and I kept waiting for that turn to happen in this movie, and it was like, okay, well maybe it's gonna happen in the third act, and then she's gonna become the badass, and yeah. it, and it kind of never does. She just sort of runs out the clock. Yeah, I, but I think. On some level, the thing about your next is like the member of the central reveal about her being a badass is that she basically grew up with survivalist parents, like sure. doomsday, doomsday preppers. So, like when it kicks and she's like, "Fuck this shit," um, we never really find out what you know the the background of our kind of central character is in Ready or Not. So, for her to become like Superwoman uh, and setting all these booby traps and all the rest would. Like from my perspective, would start to feel like well, uh, now we're maybe pushing it. Maybe tonally that would work. You know, maybe it would work. Ramp up some of the goofiness towards the end, but for me, that was never. I, I think had there been more people involved with the hunt, you could have had more killing, right? So I, to speak. But I, I mean, I thought I'm with you. I think it is right down that this. This to me is the very definition of a straight-down-the-middle horror movie. I, I saw some people going crazy for it um, online. I don't get that. I right. don't understand where you come in from that. I think it has some issues, but as endings go, it's one of the more bonkers endings in a horror movie I've seen this year, and I kind of love it for that. Yeah, it's it, it's slick, it's fun. It, uh, the gags with the staff are very funny. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I and I wish there I wish there were more to it. And like it got heralded for being this big like class warfare movie. It's like yeah, that's kind of the premise, but it doesn't really do anything. With no, that. it doesn't. It's, it's like the the most tertiary of backdrops to the movie, if yeah. ever there was one. So I don't think at the end of it, I was like, well, that showed the elites. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, but so you and I both uh, agreed that this was a three and a half star film. Yes. Um, and let me let me throw one at you that I rated even higher than that, Duncan. Oh, uh, here we go. Dizzy in there. Um, a little movie called Lose. I have still to see this. It's on my thirty one of October list for end of this week, I believe. Yeah, it is. <sighs> It, all right, so it's very artsy and fartsy. This is why it's on my list, bull. <laughs> that said, and and not not just in spite of that, but because of that, it is one of the cooler possession stories I've seen in a long, long time. Oh, nice. Um, it is 
it, it it's one of those movies that sort of reveals itself as it goes along as far as like what the real thrust of the movie is and what the real relationship at the core of the movie is and when it does it's very cool you know it's one of those movies that if it were 20 minutes longer it would be fucking miserable but the, <laughs> fa- the fact that this cruises in at a nice 70 minutes oh now you're speaking to me <laughs> yeah where it's just like hey this is kind of this weirdo artsy sort of heady uh, you know horror potentially sci-fi-ish movie mm-hmm. and it's done on the cheap and it's really getting off getting by on the strength of some performances and just creativity within the narrative itself and and i dug it it re- it really worked for me so um i'm i'm excited for you to see it we'll we'll talk more about it once that happens but I, like i said it was one of those that uh after I watched it, I kind of sat with it for a minute and really thought about it. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've liked it. And um, it is a, a a real strong entry on my top ten list for this year so far. Oh, nice. Um, I, it's, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I know a couple of my listeners from my podcast have been mentioning it for a while with the kind of caveat of Duncan will love this movie. Um, so I'm very much looking forward. This was another one, actually, of throw your way i don't know if you've seen it yet have you seen the laplace demon yet i have not and i saw that you had really uh been uh bowled over by it and so i'm excited to see it It, it's it's high on my list now of things to watch yeah so i mean it's um it's ultra low budget i mean it's basically the cast and the fact the cast direct right produce edit (laughs) they've done everything in it so it's small small group and um it's kind of shades of 60s italian cinema it's still got shot black and white i think mostly against green screen um and it's without giving away too much um do you know what laplace's demon is I I read the synopsis of this, which suggests that it's the notion that if you drop a glass, mm-hmm. it will it when it shatters, it will never shatter exactly the same way twice. Is that it's n- no? Okay, so great. Like, right, Laplace's demons like the opposite. Laplace's demon, uh, Laplace, this physics philosopher, um, hypothesized that if you could calculate a specific equation you could anticipate basically everything that would happen to you like preordained fate and if you could crack that code you would know how many bits of glass would uh, be there if a glass fell off a table before it happened right that's what i said yeah but if you expanded it out further you would basically know what would happen to everyone so you would have you would be able to know exactly what, what i would know everything that would happen for, you you. for eternity so, so, so you're you're taking you're accurately taking into account every possible variable yes yes okay. so what happens is you have these these people on a boat uh, traveling to this professor's island it's all very kind of old-fashioned i kind of love it even though it's not entirely clear when the movie is set um but they're they're traveling and is brought out to this mansion house on an island in the middle of the sea and they arrive and um a videotape plays and it's like a giallo 
kind of killer guy. You, know, you can't see him as all in the shadows with a kind of fake voice on. And basically what he tells him is that he has fully worked out Laplace's calculation. And as such, uh, he wants them to spend the night. So it's like the old-fashioned ghost stories if you spend overnight um, instead of winning millions. If they can spend overnight and survive then they will have proved that his equation doesn't work. But he has everything fully set out um, using clockwork tools and all the rest that he knows exactly who will perish and when they will perish. Um, it's, it's brilliant. I, I, I like watched this thing enthralled from start to finish. It helps that I have a healthy passion for that particular era in cinema and that particular part of the world. But it was just really, really well done. I, I, I actually think... Some of the questions it raises are, are quite clever. Even the way it handles it, it handles it and not like see when you're talking about Annabelle and you're saying that this movie is a box ticking exercise and it's you've seen everything before, you know where it's going, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And a lot of respects for Laplace's demon is doing is kind of taking the the kind of backdrop of sort the sort of history of horror that we would expect and really playing with it and stretching what it can do and actually really writing well into this idea of it's essentially it's a cross between the haunted house idea and the murder mystery who done it in a mansion but done with a kind of temporal physics and philosophy as as it's kind of as it's through line it's very 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 good I, I was incredibly impressed with it and it seems to be getting a bit of traction now which you know from my from my perspective, is great. This guy should be given a lot of money to make a movie because I think he has it in him. Great. All right. Uh, let's talk about one that I know both of us have seen. Uh-oh. Uh, a little movie directed by uh, singing sensation Fred Durst. <laughs> and, entitled <laughs> The Fanatic. Dude, see when I watched this movie, I was like, if Duncan and Bo ever came back to do a Duncan and Bo comes incorrect, The Fanatic is the movie I would pick. <laughs> Man, all right, so here's my thing about The Fanatic. <laughs> it's kind of flawed genius? Is that what you're going to say? It's, no. Well, there's, like, as you, right. I, I don't know, like, see what we speak about it, we might end up coming at the end of this saying that we adore this movie. I'm just I mean, I, maybe, but, so, <laughs> I don't think the Travolta performance is a bad performance. It's not. This is the thing. It's not, but one, why is Travolta doing it? Two, right. why is it? Why has he been allowed to go off script? There's so many errors in what he says throughout yeah. the movie. Like, he openly contradicts himself in sentences. Um, yeah, but they also do everything but steal his lunch money to make him the most sympathetic character possible. Yep. So that when he does go off the deep end, <laughs> you're still not totally against what he's doing. Because Devin Sala is such a tremendous prick. Oh, he's brilliant in that. He's like, talk about, I, like, because my experience of, of him and pretty much everything is of a sympathetic character. Yeah, like, I, I've liked him in everything. I've never seen him play, um, you know, an evil performance or a villainous performance before. But watching this movie, I fucking hated him. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he's a real cock in this. And there's a point in the movie where it goes from like I don't understand what I'm watching 
<laughs> where like like up to and including the the scenes with like Travolta hanging out when he's asleep in the easy chair and <laughs> so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really creepy, but also you're like he's not a violent guy by nature. Uh-huh. But he's also just constantly shit on every like it's the it's the Joker. The Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Only you've got a central character who is on, who isn't just mentally ill, but is truly on the spectrum. He is. He is very much so. Where, because I watched this with my girlfriend who has an older child who's on the spectrum, and she was like, this is my son, you know? Like, Mm. this is, this is how he behaves. I mean, not obviously kidnapping movie stars. (laughs) But of just like, you know, when people yell at him, he just withdraws and contracts and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I it was weird having that perspective as I watched it because I was like, yeah, he's a really frightened character for most of this. You know, like uh-huh. it's just people shouting at him. And then the movie just goes fucking ape shit. Yeah. In the last <laughs> like 20 minutes where it's like, what is happening? <laughs> Is there still a body on the lawn? Well, this is there must be. <laughs> and then that just Devon Sawa just never sees. And then because <laughs> he tells his gardener to go home, right? But he never even looked out a window. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. And but also when he gets arrested at the end of the movie, why on fucking earth would they think it was him? Other than, yeah. like, there's the thing of, like, oh, he was fucking her, but he had no reason to murder her. He no, has but no... he, does, he does answer the door covered in blood. Right, right. But, but he you also... would imagine, long, yeah, long term, though, right? This is, yeah. See, we see this, and then we hypothesize what might happen. What really happens is he gets arrested, he gets taken, and he says, this weirdo broke into my house. Test the blood. They test the blood. They find that the blood is not linked to the woman in the garden. He's let off. I right. Mean, right. Yeah. Look for the guy. What? What only has two fingers on his right hand? Yeah. Yeah. And he's now wearing an eye patch. <laughs> right. He also, oh, just happens to have been silver bulleted. Yeah. Right. We, we, like, you probably see him play a weird English policeman. Yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. On, on the Hollywood on the Hollywood Boulevard. Honestly, man, I was. It's it's fucking bananas. And I, I didn't know what to expect. I honestly did not know what to expect. And I'd heard everyone say this is like, you know, this makes Gotti look like a masterpiece and all the rest. And I sat down and watched it. And of all the films I've watched for my 31 of October, I would sit down and watch The Fanatic again tonight. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of fascinating. And I don't know that I would recommend it. Oh, no. <laughs> but, no, no, no. Which is why, like, you rated it three stars, I rated it two stars. But it's because it's like, I can't really tell somebody like, yeah, go watch this. It's a good movie. But if somebody came to me and was like, man, I watched The Fanatic and I was kind of obsessed with it for a couple of days. Then I would be like, I totally get it. A hundred, like from Devin Sawa talking about how good Limp Biscuit is. Oh my God. But weird, like, why is there a teenage girl best friends with John Travolta? Why is she narrating the movie? Why at about an hour do we start getting animated? It's a fine question. Out of nowhere, they just start putting animations in there. And I was like, that, what does, like, 
did Fred Durst see Kill Bill and think that this is okay? <laughs> Does he not understand? What just weird? Like, and I'm with you. Like, part of me thinks that either this is one of the single worst uh, performances by John Travolta, or it's kind of amazing. And I'm not sure. I'm not like I'm not sure. He's really, really, really good, and also weirdly over the top, uncomfortable. And why is he in the? Like, I don't understand why he did the movie. That's the thing that confuses. Like he doesn't know Fred Durst. It's not as if he's John fucking Travolta. He can do whatever he wants. There's plenty of those straight to VHS movies that he could do if he wanted. Why this one? Is it because he's never done a horror movie before, and he thought I'll do a horror movie, or he really connected with the idea of you know fanaticism, or like I don't know. All I know is for an hour and a half that that movie was on, I was absorbed into its world. Like, I couldn't, I was like a moth to the flame. I could not take my eyes off the screen and it finished. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's really something. Um, I like, like I said, you gave it three stars. I gave it two stars. I think both of us are in agreement that, I mean, it, The Fanatic is the best movie of the year. <laughs> And, all, and also kind of the worst. It's it's, it's like, bizarre. It's a bizarre it would, film. It would double really good with... There's a movie that I saw a couple of years ago called The Evil Within, which was financed by this multi-millionaire who died before production finished. Um, and it's a really strange movie, which also has a character who is kind of mentally handicapped at the central performance, where the performance itself is very much leaning in to, you know, it's not doing the Hollywood version of it, it's doing the actual version of it. And um, it's a wonderfully bizarre experience. When I finished watching that, I was like, this is one of the more unique experiences. See if you could double build that with The Fanatic, The Evil Within, The Fanatic, double build those movies together. My God, your head will be like a fucking prune at the end of it. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Right. There's a sequence in that. Like, this is what I mean about I'm going off piece. John Travolta at one point is talking about, she calls him a maniac. He says, um, I'm not a maniac. Oh, maniac. Uh, that's a great movie from the 80s. Um, I, I didn't like the remake. I like the new one. You're right. That's his sentence. And I'm like, yeah. What? Did right. you just I had to rewind it to listen to it? And I'm like, you didn't like the remake. And then two seconds later, he says, I liked the new one. And it's almost as if Fred Durst was like, you know what it reminded me of? Remember Blood Shack? Paul? Uh-huh. Where it's just like, <laughs> wait, your one take Johnny? That's it. Yeah. Like, literally, this movie is just all one takes. Hey, like, Fred want, Durst was not saying, let's do this again. I think I may have contradicted myself. You want me to do it again there, Fred? <laughs> All I could all I could think about was the chipper all the way right through it. That's yeah, that's not inaccurate. Um it's yeah, it's really something, man. Um so bizarre. Yeah. So let's talk about another one I think both of us have seen. Uh the straight to Hulu question mark uh movie Wounds. I have not seen this yet. Is it good? No, it's not, Duncan. <laughs> I think it's on. I think it went to Hulu over there. I think it might be Netflix in the UK. Uh, whatever. Uh, don't watch it. <laughs> Is this the one with Dakota Fanning in it? Yeah, Dakota Fanning and yeah. Army Hammer. 
Yes, that's right. Right. Uh, directed by Babak Anbari. Yep, that sounds like uh, a name out there for people to pronounce. Babak Anbari, yep. though, uh, you may recall, was uh, director of Under the Shadow. Right. This is the mobile phone movie. Ish. So this is the, the in the bar finds a mobile. F- is that is that the same movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. And it's not good. <laughs> no. Oh no! I, like because this has been. I didn't. I knew the director had did a movie that was coming out this year that was about someone finding a mobile phone, and it's been on my cat. I didn't realize that was wins. Yeah, it's like my review of it essentially was. Uh, I gave it two stars. Uh, and I and I basically said in in my review of this movie, there is a fine line between art and stupid. Oh no! And this is a movie that is so self serious. It is just so lifeless and uh, gloomy. And it, like there there's a genuine atmosphere that the movie creates. But it's like if if you had the atmosphere of the movie Seven. Except mm-hmm. nothing ever happened. Oh no! And it, you just kind of wallowing in everybody being awful, and uh, yeah, there's some stuff with the cell phone, but it, none of this ever is explained in a even remotely reasonable way as to what's going on in this movie. It's a little esoteric, not a little. It's a lot esoteric in a mm-hmm. way that is entirely off-putting, and I like. You you can throw all kinds of weird philosophy into your movies, and I'm on board for it. Like the one of the reasons I love uh, the addiction so much is how that movie wallows in its philosophy. But mm-hmm. this is a movie that seems to have a philosophy; it just won't tell you what it is, and you're just like, I don't know what the fuck this movie is supposed to be about. It's just Army Hammer running around telling people not to watch this video on a cell phone. And then he sees some roaches rinse and repeat until the movie ends. And and it's, again, I would be curious if you saw this and were like, Bo, you ignorant slut. (laughs) This movie is utter genius. Because it might be. But (laughs) I certainly couldn't ferret anything out of it. And I'm not the only one because there are some reviews. Let's just scan the letterbox reviews, Duncan. Uh, Veronica gives it one star and says, I genuinely don't know what the fuck this is about. (laughs) That's just Veronica, though. She never knows anything. Right. Brad uh, gives it half a star and says, there are definitely better ways to spend an hour and a half of your life. Some include cyberbullying or injecting tapeworm infested diarrhea into the back of your skull. And as you're slowly losing consciousness, shit slowly drips from your ear. And the last thing you're alive to witness is Army Hammer saying, fucking millennials. (laughs) <laughs> which is a line from the movie yeah but I'm, i don't disagree with him and i'm a, i am a millennial <laughs> like, yeah. i don't disagree with him. fuck us all of us <laughs> yeah uh ellie's review two stars army hammer who's a millennial says fucking millennials about a group of, uh, uh, about a group of gin zers um <laughs> yeah it's it's just like I, I mean goofing on it because sometimes letterbox reviews are funny but also, it is just a bunch of nonsense that doesn't ever seem to amount to anything, and nobody has any energy and does anything ever in the movie. It is crazy how little happens in it. 
I need to check this out. I need to check. It's been it's been on my list for a while. Let me let me counter with something that you may or may not have seen that I think is worthy of discussion for all the reasons of this director did something I didn't like, and look what you've done and how did you do this? Um, so the director of Thanks Killing, uh-huh. right, did I, you might I, remember that. I did he? Yeah, he did a, a kind of shorter movie. It's about an hour and ten minutes long. Uh, this year called The Headhunter. I keep hearing great things about this. The Headhunter is fucking great. Like, right. absolutely great. It's a kind of, it's basically like a medieval Moby Dick. <laughs> so it's like right. it's like watching a mission from Skyrim that someone has painstakingly made live action, but awesome. It's about uh, a medieval knight who is hunting. He has a a wall full of heads, uh, which he's pinned there from kind of evil creatures he has slain in his time. But the one that is elusive on his wall is the creature that killed his daughter. Um, and it is just, for the most part, one guy, some flashbacks to times with his daughter, but one guy hunting this evil medieval creature. Um, it's fucking brilliant. It's like, I was shocked at how good this is it's about an hour and ten long and it has huge sections where there's no dialogue at all but it is beautifully shot and it's captivating well i once again could not take my eyes off the screen and i will say right now it is one of the better things i have seen this year and i still can't equate that it came from that director like at all so yeah, put that right up on the list for you. It's a nice, but you it's just over an hour. I mean, that's the sort of watch that you can watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let me let me run through a couple of titles, and if you've seen them, uh, let me know. Uh, Go for it. Have you seen uh, Eli on Netflix? I watched Eli today. Yeah, I did the same. Uh, what, what was your take on Eli? Eli started kind of interesting and finished dumb. Um, yeah, I gave it one and a half stars. I would probably give it about a two and a half. And uh, yeah, it's, it. you're right. It is a movie that begins with an interesting premise. When you get to the end of it, you're going to be like, oh, so this was all stupid all along. Yeah. It's and- a really silly ending. Like re- even by silly endings, this, you know, like this ending and a movie like ready or not, I fucking love this ending and this sort of movie. I just think, how did we end up here? <laughs> right. Like this isn't what this movie was about until mm. just now, until literally five minutes ago, this movie had none of this. Yeah. And now that's what it's about. It, it's, yeah. it's a turn that I do not care for, even though I won't spoil it. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was a real dumb movie and I felt like there wasn't nearly enough Lily Taylor being creepy. Yeah. She's br- once again, Lily Taylor is brilliant. Yes. And she should have been a, a bigger figure in the movie, but also you couldn't because of if you did, it would spoil what your premise is. But yeah. I would almost be like, but if that's your premise, let that be your premise and just do that up front. Yeah. That makes it a more interesting movie. I, I totally agree. hundred percent. I, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about the movie in respects of you know, how they couldn't see the ending coming as if that's a positive thing. Like I like I'm like listen, I like a surprise ending like the next guy, but I like a surprise ending that is earned. Yeah, 
Right. This one is not earned at all. It is shoehorned in. It's almost as if they were like, right, we don't know. Uh, What would Shyamalan do? (laughs) Right. What what did he do uh, in that classic movie, The Village, that everyone (laughs) loves and no one was mad about? (laughs) Let's let's, remember that great movie, The Happening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, let me, let me, let me throw another one at you. Uh, what about, I think this is also a Hulu, uh, exclusive, at least here in the States, a movie called Little Monsters. I've not seen it yet. It's actually getting a cinematic run over here in November. Um, that feels right. This felt a little weird to, to see on the small screen, especially after seeing, you know, Lupita Nyong'o in, um, Us. In Us recently. It's like, oh, Wow. Um, I rated this four stars, Duncan. I'm hearing good things about it. Uh, it's, it's been on my can't wait for it to come out list for a while. So it's uh, it is one of those movies that is has more to do with one cut of the dead than it does uh, like a real zombie movie. Like uh, uh, what was that? Speaking of Spectre Vision, the one with uh, Elijah Wood, uh, Cooties. Cooties. Yeah, it it is less that. And more like um, <laughs> the so the the it's it's kind of a love story at the end of the day is, is what right. this movie is. It's got a very charming center to it. Mm-hmm. Lapita Nyong'o is incredible as usual in it. She is dude. She is so a beautiful and b charming mm-hmm. that it's just unfair and. <laughs> Um, Josh Gad is legitimately very funny as uh, a, a children's host named Mr. Mr. Teddy McWinkles, something like that. And and the gig of his character is, is as soon as this zombie outbreak happens, um, he immediately goes to fuck you, fuck these kids. I need to survive. <laughs> And is very, very upfront about it and very graphically vulgar about it in a way mm. that is uh, a lot of fun. So um, anyway, I enjoyed that. I think the main character is played by uh, Alexander England, I think is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very sweet relationship between like him and his nephew. And, you know, they're, they're, this ain't breaking any new ground. Like, it's one of those characters that's like, oh, he's sleeping on his sister's couch, and he's got to figure out his way in life, and the way he's going to do that is to become the hero in this situation. And, again, nothing uh, earth-shattering about this plot-wise, but it's all done well. This is the the anti-Annabelle Comes Home, where it's like there is nothing surprising in this movie, but it's fun, and it's energetic, and it's legitimately funny at times. And uh, and kind of surprisingly gory at times. Uh, mm. It's not quite Shaun of the Dead gory, which yeah. is one of those movies that you'll forget until you're watching again. Like, oh shit, yeah, somebody gets ripped apart. Oh um, yes. <laughs> um, this isn't quite that gory, but um, it's it's definitely got some good gore gags. And the kid who plays his nephew is uh, fucking adorable. And, and and that's kind of the, the story of Little Monsters is that it just like every corner of the movie is just chock full of something that's like kind of cute and charming and it, it's just a good time. And again, one of those movies that cruises in at a slick 94 minutes 
Yep, you're speaking my language. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Is is it it hits all the right notes. It sets up a bunch of stuff. It pays everything off. It is just a well done solid horror comedy. Um. So yeah. So uh, I'll tell you, man. All right, look, I've got one more that for sure we want to talk about. What Ooh, else? Right. What else do you have that we need to hit? Right, I'll, I'll just zip through a couple here. Um, In the Shadow of the Moon, the new Mickel movie. Have you seen it yet? I have not. How is it? Um, not a horror movie, regardless sure. what Netflix is trying to see. Um, yeah, it's what it, once again, it's kind of... It's time travel-y, and that's not really spoiling much. Okay. Um, it's the same period over, like, uh, the, the, these deaths keep occurring. So like a serial killer that keeps striking every nine years, and we follow our main character, Boyd Holbrooks, the, the actor, um, who plays alongside Michael C. Hall, which, you know, makes me happy. Um, and they're investigating this through every nine years, and he starts to think that there's a conspiracy that maybe this killer is immortal. Um, I thought it was really good. It's interesting to see Mickle back making a movie, considering his last one was Cold in July, which... Yeah, very, I mean, very weird. Years ago. Yeah, and, and it's um, great. Oh, yeah. yeah, And, and um, like he's been off, obviously, doing Happen Leonard, the TV show, which I only ever saw the first season of, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. So the fact he's coming back and he's got Netflix money behind him, it's I, it feels big in scope. And I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought... It's not a perfect movie, and I would love to see him do something more genre-based because I think that's where he shines. But, yeah, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I would put that one on your list. Boar should be on your list if you haven't seen it. That is a Bo Ransdell movie, if ever there was one. That is the Australian movie about the boar. <laughs> I, I started oh, it, and I got about 10 minutes in, and I was watching it late at night and fell asleep and just didn't go back to it. You need to go back to it. It's all the beats of Tremors. Um, okay. and, and uh, it's it's very entertaining, very funny, and surprisingly gory. Um, so I would I would raise that one on your list. Um, I would say avoid the banana splits movie. Yeah, I did, uh, that wasn't on my list of things I needed to watch. <laughs> oh, so bad. Um, Rust Creek, avoid that. People will tell you it is a worthwhile experience. I gave it a one and a half stars. Okay, all right. I would. It's I, like a, lifetime movie it's like a lifetime survival movie with quirky characters i don't get the purpose of it i'll tell you one um that fell into that category for me of like oh i heard this was interesting and then i saw it i was like this is this is painfully bad (laughs) um is a movie called starfish i've not seen that no and it it's sort of an end of the world movie that's kind it's done on the cheap and and that's not a bad thing but it is so up its own ass about its artsiness uh, in a way that similar similar to Wounds, but more so, is obtuse to a point where it's like, man, did you ever see um, Shit? Uh, the movie did that I ever had, see Shit? No, no, no. The, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. It was Are We Give Not Cats? Oh, no, I've still not seen it. I don't think it's ever been formally released in the UK. So that's a movie that I had the same reaction to of like, yeah, all right, I guess. Um, <laughs> like, I get it. It's This is all very artsy, but f- for fuck's sake, this has taken forever. Um, and that's how I felt about Starfish. But anyway, I, 
go on. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt with starfish <laughs> hatred, but it was like, yeah, I had one of those experiences yeah. too, where it was like, oh. I just knock it off with the, the hype about a movie that is nigh unwatchable. Yeah, I don't know like where this was coming from, but IFC put it out and it's it is the epitome, in my opinion, of a lifetime movie. That's exactly how it felt, and it's a survival movie, which basically our 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 heroine in this movie, all the injuries that she gets are self inflicted. All right, what's, <laughs> she, what's the name of this movie again? I'm sorry, Rust Creek. Rust Creek. Okay, right. Yeah, not good. Like not good at all. Um, in fact, when I was reviewing it today, it dropped a whole half a star. <laughs> Right, and was, like the more you thought about it as you were writing, where you're like, yeah, and another thing, yeah. it pretty much exactly went that way. Uh, I'll finish off with one before we go and do uh, some heavier hitters here. Um, last night I watched a little movie which um, I am fully committing my entire love to. Uh, I want to have its children. I want to settle down with it. I think it is kind of fucking amazing, and I also. I'm of the opinion that I don't think you'll like it just because I know you have history with the director. All right, let's hear it. it Bliss, the new movie by Joel Bigos. Yeah, I I saw that you had watched that and I was going to ask, uh, what horror director is he ripping off this time? <laughs> You're a bad man. Am I Ramsdale. wrong? Look You're at the movies. Bad man. <laughs> Look at the movies he's directed. Look at the fucking posters for those movies. Homages, I would say. Homages. The Mind's Eye is a great movie. I don't care what you say. Yes, it's very Cronenbergian, but right, uh, it's, it's it's Scanners. Right, but <laughs> right, yeah, but I, I mean, everything is emulating as Scanners to the extent that people have telepathic. Powers, um, it's not scanners in that you know it's just a remake of that movie. No, it's taking it's taking an idea from that and, and going in a different direction. Right. You, in argue, fairness, uh, it's more like Scanners Three in that. <laughs> yeah, Scanner Cult. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's more it's more in, it's more in line with the later ones for sure. But yeah. <laughs> um, and almost human, you didn't like, and I did like that. And I thought that was a really interesting movie. It, yeah, uh, it was okay, but... It you was, said it was too long, if memory serves. Yeah, and a little too, like, remember John Carpenter? It's like, yeah, yeah I do. Let's <laughs> does, does have a bit of Carpenter. And, and go, a bit, all right. But a Bliss is a vampire movie, okay. um, which has, I would say, nods to... Um, and I'm saying nods to as in it's absolutely fucking nothing like this but certain shots in the movie reminded me of scenes in other movies that I adore but it has nods to Near Dark Um, it has uh, nods to Habit a little bit Um, it is uh, maybe the most punk rock vampire movie you're ever likely to see. And this is a movie from about five minutes till the end of it. It's about an hour and 20 long. From about five minutes in this movie to the end is absolutely fucking relentless, which I think will either make you adore the movie or hate the movie. I can't imagine much middle ground with this one. It's bright, it's loud, it's neon, it's bloody, it's violent, it's aggressive, it's 
shouty, it's punky, it's thrashy, it's industrial, um, and all centres around this artist who's kind of lost her mojo. Um, oh, by the way, just to, to sell the movie a bit more for you, great casting choice to Jeremy Gardner in the movie. So Nice. All right, I'm in. Right, so Jeremy Gardner's in it, and he's kind of fucking amazing. Green Skipper Returns, who's worked on all Beagles' projects, and did that really great movie last year, Sequence Break, which no one seemed to really be speaking about, but I thought was brilliant. Um, I, I don't think I got to the good part. <laughs> son of a bitch. I know, I'm, um, not, I'm not saying that it, it was a bad movie. I'm saying I didn't get to the part where it was good. All right. <laughs> Feel like a veiled insult there somewhere. Uh, between the lines. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, this, this kind of failed artist who she's just been dropped by her uh, agent. She's still got this one piece to deliver and she decides that when she's dropped by her agent, she's going to go out, get high, which she hasn't done in a while, um, get some drinks and kind of reacquaint herself with some old friends. And she takes this thing called Bliss, which is... I think it's part cocaine, part LSD or something. Um, and then things spiral up from there. But what happens is the more she gets involved with what is happening there, when she wakes up after these like drug binges, she realizes that she's painted some more on this painting that she's doing and it's maybe the best work she's ever done. And then mix into that a little bit of vampirism. It's fucking great <laughs> like i absolutely some of the casting choices are weird as fuck in it like there's that dude the guy that played norm from cheers oh yeah george went yeah he's in it oh great okay <laughs> like, like and i kind of blink and you'll miss him <laughs> but, like, why you know, you here? here's my thing about joe bigos is i feel like i haven't seen a joe bigos movie yet I, I think you're about to. I okay. think this is his, this is his one. And to me, knowing like I interviewed him a while ago uh, for my show, and um, it was on the back of his kind of press tour for the Mind's Eye. And speaking to him, I got the feeling that you know he's, he clearly is enthralled by like eighties cinema. That's his. That's his. I know there's a cynical part of you specifically that's like right. We've had enough of that though. Well work for me in this project is how modern it felt like this this feels like a movie that is that could easily come out in the 80s could easily been released in the 80s and it would make sense to be released in the kind of latter half of the 80s but it feels modern fresh and and really that was the thing that got me is i was completely absorbed into the the, the color spectrums and everything that was happening and yeah, just everything. I, I thought it was brilliant, and I thought, I think I put it in my review, I think this is by far and away the best thing this guy has done. Okay. Like, ge- genuinely think, and I will be very surprised if at the end of this year, this movie is not in my top five. Wow. That's how confident right. I, I, I was blown away by it, but I have a sneaky suspicion you're going to watch it fucking hate it <laughs> really so, okay all right well i don't know i just think you i, th- I think you bigos there's just i think and it's nothing against you i i get the same way with certain directors as well i think you will go into your viewing with cynicism um i i will it, genuinely try not to i think you should like just click just go in for the experience 
Um, and it's either going to just be like loud noise at you, <laughs> at which case I'm going to refer to you as an old man, or it's going to be right up your alley. And I kind of hope it's that one, knowing how you feel about... It was interesting because Habit kept going through my head. I, like when I, The first time I ever saw Habit or The Addiction, which are movies we spoke about recently in the summer Teapot's Top 10 series, was how fresh they felt as vampire movies. Right, like taking the lore and putting them in a different way. This to me, the the idea of kind of art and pain being this kind of like life experiences and trauma being the thing that can trigger incredible works of art as a kind of backdrop to everything else that was happening in the movie. I think works really, really well. And like I say, it's a like the the, the viewing of the movie. It will zip right through. It's not a long movie, and it's fucking flies in five minutes into the movie it's when shit really kicks off and then it the foot does not come off the pedal until the end so great okay i'm no i'm in the the description of it sounds great yes so that's the only other one i wanted to discuss out with maybe something a bit more lofty yes let's uh because it it, it finally made its way over to uh the states recently thanks to shutter who continued to do the lord's work here (laughs) God bless the Lord. I, you know, one cut of the dead and tigers are not afraid in the same year ain't a bad get. It's worth the money you spend on that alone. You're <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, tigers are not afraid is uh, uh, a recent watch of mine. I, you know, I messaged you pretty quickly after I'd seen it, which was like <laughs> fucking hell, man. That was, yes, that's <laughs> fucking great movie. Niagara um, Falls, Frankie. Yeah, I mean, yes, there is that. That it, it was the the first movie I saw where I rolled tears in front of my my new girlfriend. Uh, like a man, like 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 a, like a real man, Duncan. Where I was just like, look, man, this is just how it goes. This movie got to me, but to, to her credit, she was rolling a tear too. So. Yeah, I think I, I saw it at a festival and I told you, like, it's very difficult for me to show any sort of emotion bow, uh, being the fucking robot that I am. But, like, when it finished, there was a group of podcasters that I know that had different shows and we all came together and their faces were notably red and puffy. Yeah. <laughs> and they openly said, yeah, we're balling at the end of that movie. So, it, dude, it is. It, so, Tigers Are Not Afraid, if you're uh, unfamiliar, is a film about. Um, it's set in the the cartels neighborhoods of of Mexico, yeah. where uh, it sort of postulates like, hey, you know, people are going missing in these neighborhoods all the time, and they're probably leaving behind these kids, and so this is sort of this sort of dark fairy tale. Yeah, the way I heard it described perfectly is it's like City of God meets Pan's Labyrinth. That's pretty much the best description. I feel like it's more Devil's Backbone than Pan's Labyrinth. I would I would go with that in terms of I, I know why it gets the the Pan's Labyrinth thing because Pan's Labyrinth is widely regarded as Del Toro's best movie. So right. I see why they're leaning to that. I would definitely agree it, it owes more to something like Devil's Backbone. But it is gorgeous it is uh it, it it's strangely optimistic mm-hmm. but also just like soul crushingly sad oh, and yeah. it is uh it, it is a beautiful movie it feels magical it is one of those movies that it reaches a point where it's like this is so fucking dark 
Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, it takes that turn that's like, but this is why there is hope. And is it, but oh. isn't this like, isn't this Spanish language horror though? I was thinking about this. Like when you think about how uh, Guillermo del Toro, and it's, it's difficult not to make a comparison. Um, and I know she's leaned into that. He's producing her next movie, which I believe might be a werewolf movie. I read that somewhere, and I was like, give me that now. Right, what the um, fuck ever Issa Lopez wants to do next, I'm oh, in line. Yeah, yeah, like, she had, like, big names behind this. Like, Stephen King, who, like, arguably does sometimes paste him against dodgy versions of his own movies. Um, but, yeah, Neil Gaiman, uh, Guillermo del Toro, and all this were... were like openly saying that this was one of their favorite movies last year that they'd seen. Um, and like, it's difficult to, to separate that. But when I think about um, a movie like the orphanage, for example, which is a soul crushing movie, which ends on this weirdly optimistic ending, you know, like that. And I think it's something about Spanish language horror movies. I think they have that in them that I think it's just how they look at death. And life, yeah. I think they just have a different approach to it. And as a result of that, like the same way that J Horror has a way of making me creeped out about any girl with long black hair ever, um, there's just something about Spanish ghost stories in particular that have this hauntingly optimistic ending. It is a beautifully shot movie. And above all else, this movie relies on kids acting their fucking brains out and the kid performances are incredible in this movie yeah it's really crazy how how surprisingly good these actors are and what's his name little mary whatever his name was oh shit that little kid he's so good man he's a heartbreaker oh man it it like it does everything it's one of those movies that it knows exactly what it wants to achieve mm-hmm. and it nails it. And yeah. it's, it is incredibly confident for well, a first time done, movie. Well, she's, well, this is a first time horror movie. She's been, she's apparently she's been doing stuff for a while. Um, but this is our first horror movie. And she was like, that. yeah, I just wanted to do like a dark fairy tale horror movie. So, and now that she's done that, apparently that she's she's openly said it. She's this is a genre she wants to stay in, probably because she's had quite a lot of success in it. But um, yeah, like she like this is this to me is the very definition of a a movie that will be seen in a couple. Once again, difficult not to link with the Guillermo del Toro, but like five years from now, we're going to be looking back at this movie saying this is a modern masterpiece. Yeah, it's flawless. It is a flawless movie. Yeah, I I gave it my notorious four and a half stars, <laughs> where it's it. like uh, I just I just need I I need to watch it again. You yeah, know, it I you know. it extracted tears from you, Bo, and that's not enough to give it five. Dude, look, <laughs> I will be the first to say there is every chance in the world that come the end of the year, this is going to top my list. Uh. Because I, I mean, like I've watched one cut of the dead again recently and it's a wonderful movie, but I, I really think this one landed with me, which is crazy to say, I mean, yeah. what an embarrassment of riches where it's like, you know, one cut of the dead's amazing, but also here's tigers are not afraid that Dude, just my, grabbed me yeah. by the face and smack me around. I am not, I am not 
see, I'm in this weird position in that I never made... I told everyone last year it was my number one movie, but it wasn't officially released in the UK last year, even though it had its, like, one cinematic performance. Um, you know, it wasn't officially released, so, like, my number one last year was Mandy. And I was like, that Mandy's number one, but I'm telling you right now, if I was including Tigers Are Not Afraid, Tigers Are Not Afraid would be number one, and Mandy yeah. would be number two. And then I swung into this year, and I'm like, well, it's now finally released, but I talked about it last year. So can I put it... If I am taking it into consideration this year, I have an almost fatal three-way of Tigers Are Not Afraid, One Cut of the Dead, and Midsummer at the top of my... Yeah, boy, that's a those, strong list. And this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm still reading things from people saying that they don't think this year has been necessarily a great year for horror. And I just don't know what what do what do filmmakers have to do? Uh, but I think <laughs> what do they have to do? I think what they're saying is if you weren't into Midsummer, as far as big horror movies, yeah, like there wasn't an it chapter one. That was right. like everybody yeah. went nuts. Like it, chapter two kind of came, and everyone was like, let, let, eh, let me, "All right, let, let me let me put it this way: Midsummer, Tigers Are Not Afraid, and One Cut of the Dead, three completely different genre movies. Mm-hmm. You can put it and at the top of each of their classes, in my opinion, for this year. Uh, Tell me when that happens yeah. any other year. Tell me when you get three distinctly unique." horror movies that are in their own spectrum, one being a kind of horror comedy with a love of cinema, um, one being this, like, full, fully blown, like, hand job to folk horror um, in, the, in the movies of the 60s and the 70s, and then one being this beautiful, haunting, dark fairy tale story which is riding real things that are happening in a, in a war-torn part of the world. And you you craft this beautiful story out of that. Three completely different, and they are at the top. Like you could stack them up against. I said it before. One cut of the dead to me is better than fucking Shaun of the Dead. I think Midsummer is like you. To me, Midsummer is in the conversation when you're talking about the best of folk horror. And one uh, and um, Tigers are not afraid is like one of the best movies of the decade. But <laughs> like. Now you tell me, like, why people are moaning that this year is not a good year. These people are morons, like absolute morons. I just, I don't get it. I, I think if I do include it this year, a part of me feels like I can't because I spoke about it so highly last year. If I do include it this year, I have real issues getting a number one in this list this year. I really, really do because part of me had resigned myself to the fact that it was either going to be Midsummer or One Cut the Dead on a second year. And now I'm like that. <laughs> the Tigers are not afraid in there. It's it, like, it is what you say and it's a phrase that I love to use and pretend that I'm bold when I say it. This year, like, there are a selection of movies which are a complete embarrassment of riches. Like, if, you're a, if you are a genre fan, what a time to be alive. There's never been a better time, Duncan, to be watching genre films. Um, yeah, honestly, and every year, every year, and this is—I've mm-hmm. still not seen the Lighthouse yet, and I'm hearing already I'm going to fucking love that movie. Yep, I keep hearing great things about that as well. Uh, I mean, we got oh. uh, Doctor Sleep, man. That's Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Flanagan, I, like, I will never write off like 
a big budget, big screen Mike Flanagan film, shit, that yeah. could be the best movie I ever saw. Yeah, I mean, um, this is this is his biggest movie in yeah. terms of budget, scope, how it's been released, and the fact he recre- this is what blew my mind. I saw that trailer, right? You seen the trailers, yeah? yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks, I, I think it looks great. The fact he has painstakingly recreated the scenes from the original movie in such a way that I double taked when I saw them on screen. I was like, "Isn't that? Did he just remaster that? You know, like Danny on the tricycle, and and then you hear the I've read interviews with, with him, and he's like, "No, no, no, that's been reshot and created from scratch." And I'm like, "Who fucking does that? Mike Flanagan does that? Mike Flanagan, uh, Mister Flanagan's himself? Yes, yeah, Flanagan's himself." Um, so I've been rewatching Haunting of Hill House. Yes, I've still to watch it. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be the, the the ongoing legacy of when Will Duncan <laughs> finally get around to watching this fucking clearly genius bit of TV. Yeah, well, so I'm watching the Blu-ray that has the extended episodes and stuff like that. Like I'm getting the full director's cut experience at this point, and um, and I'm reminded yet again it is just a brilliantly put together piece of horror television. Mm-hmm. Um, but also as I was watching it, I was like, oh right. I'm excited about Dr. Sleep now. Yeah. Like it watching Honey of Hill House has reminded me that, oh, Mike Flanagan hasn't made a bad movie ever. He's nope. made one movie that was like, eh, all right. Um, that before I wake or whatever is like, eh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why it probably had a bit of trouble with distribution at the time. Yeah. And it's 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 fine. It's I mean, it's he bog standard sort of movie, but everything else out with that. This is a dude who comes out the park with Absentia. You know what I mean? Just right. like, as if it's fucking nothing. Yeah, Absentia is <laughs> no joke. That's legitimate. Budget aside, first time movie aside, Absentia is a legit great horror movie. It's, it's one of my favorite quote-unquote Lovecraftian movies yeah. ever made. Yeah, Like, I, ever uh, made. I totally <laughs> agree. I 100% agree with you. That the, uh, Speaking of sticking the landing, the oh, end of God, that movie yeah. is terrifying. <laughs> yep. It's just like, I, I, I thought Oculus was brilliant for what I did. I think Hush is a great fucking movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd, like, I, I'd like Gerald's game, even though everyone's like, well, the ending's too close to, well, I gave you the ending that was in the book. But everything up to that point, fucking like captivating. The dude is His on form. We just sequel. Yes, was like, I love that as well. Oh, right. Yep. He's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, yeah. and I was, uh, I was telling Rachel when we were watching uh, Hill House, I was like, because she hasn't seen Hush, I'm like, oh yeah, the girl who's playing Theo, uh, that's the the main character from Hush, and yeah. uh, I was like, it, it's impressive because she's a totally different character in in that so movie. I think that's his partner as well, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I, I, believe, I mean, I, I hope believe so. so. I, I believe so. I think that's his partner. So good for both um, of them. Jeez, yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> they deserve each other. And I mean, that, like, like, not in the shitty way where you're like, they yeah. deserve each other. But like, no, they 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 both seem great. Yeah, it's like that It's like that moment when you realize that at one point, John Carpenter and Adrian Barbeau were a couple. And you're right. like, yeah, <laughs> fucking yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's, why is that not a forever thing? Why don't yeah. they get back together now? <laughs> yeah, I'm one hundred percent with you. Like, um, I'm doing the audiobook just now, so I've never read Doctor Sleep. Um, I haven't either. I don't even know the story of it. 
Well, the story's got me totally in. Like, the okay. story's classic King, like classic King. Um, and this whole idea about this group of, these group of, how would you describe them? Like carnival, like ageless carnival folk called the True Knot that feed off people that have the shining. Um, but their their life essence is what they call steam. So they feed off the steam of and like and like I'm about maybe a third of the way through the book, and then I went back and I watched the trailer, and I was like, "Oh, this is like like he has got like visually what I pictured in my head is on the screen in terms of like the villains and the movie are exactly how I picture them." But the, my only concern was that you know, we all know that Stephen King hates the Kubrick adaptation. Wrongly, he hates the Kubrick adaptation. Right. Like the, it's the, like one of the finest horror movies ever fucking made. And The Shining is he. I'm going to get shot for this. Is an adequate horror book. Like it's an adequate horror novel. I never got the scares that everyone else got from it. I think there are bits in it that are terrifying to read, but I never liked the ending. And I thought there was a bit too much of the the King parlance and some of the flashbacks didn't really do much for me. Um, that. Like when I watched Kubrick's The Shining, which I just got on 4K, by the way, and that is the way you watch that movie. Dear God, does it look like it was shot yesterday? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, incredible. But like my concern was that I know that the book doesn't tie into the Kubrick version. So what was going to happen there? And then I think Flanagan had basically said to King that if he was doing it, he had to he had to tie it in to the Kubrick version. And as a result, that was agreed upon. And that's the only way you could do that. If it was Doctor Sleep as a sequel to the TV miniseries, with all the goodwill and all the world, like Flanagan is going to struggle to get me excited about that. But you show me those scenes. You show me, the, not only you show me those scenes, but there's a bit in that trailer where they fly back and recreates a Kubrick shot across the, the lake yeah. at the beginning. But it's at night and it's dark and it's snowy and the original sort of dun, dun, dun yeah. starts playing it all. And I swear the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I was just like, oh my, like I cannot wait to see this on the big screen. Yeah, the, cannot fucking wait. I think that tagline is kind of badass. The yeah. uh, like, you know, this November shine again. And yeah, it's like, fucking let's go. That's the, the fucking balls on that guy. You're making a sequel to what is widely regarded, and I would say it, like, as I told you before, that and The Thing, my two favourite horror movies ever fucking made, and you're like that, let's shine again. Let's, yeah. not only, let's not only make, like, like a reference to it, but let's reshoot shots from the Kubrick movie and let's put it in there. And let's go all in. Like, all the chips from the table, they're all pushed into the middle. Flanagan is all in on this one and my fingers are crossed. I hope it's everything I I want it to be and more. I I cannot fucking wait. Two two things about this. Uh, One, who reads the audiobook? (laughs) Did I say read the audiobook? (laughs) Uh, You said you were listening to the audiobook. Who's the narrator? A, it's, oh, it's a, a, a Will Patton. Will Patton. Oh, okay, great. He's really fucking good. He's really, really, really yeah, good. Yeah, I like Will Patton. He was the, He's got that. the villain in The Postman. 
Yes, he's got. Well, he's got that kind of because, like, Danny's obviously become his dad, so to speak. Yeah. He's become an alcoholic, and he's got that kind of really raspy way of talking, you know. And then I got up, and you know, I, I really, really like it. Re, I think he's because, um, like, he seems to land really good. Like, I, I still not on the. Did you ever do the Nosferatu audiobook? I did not. Oh, Kate Mulgrew does that, and she is fucking amazing. <laughs> I As yeah, Captain I'll, I'll, Janeway. I know. Fucking I know who. <laughs> I, 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 we need to speak after this recording, by the way, about how excited I am and you should be for that Picard TV show. Um, I, I after this recording, I probably should be. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, Duncan. Yeah, I'm I, a busy man that doesn't get excited for anything except Mike Flanagan movies. I think. I appreciate that. <laughs> But to bring it back to that real, real quick, and, and to kind of uh, uh, perhaps end on this, um, the thing that has me excited is that it took someone like Flanagan to tell Stephen King it was cool that the <laughs> that The Shining is a badass horror movie, and he's like, "It's cool, baby. Everybody loves yeah. The Shining. You don't. You can go out there and bitch all you want, but people are still going to love The Shining. Or you could say, you know what?" Let's just make a good movie, and 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 let everybody have a good time. And Stephen King was like, "You know what, Mike? You've always done me right." <laughs> this is the conversation they have in my imagination. Where he's like, "You know, Mike, you've you've been a straight shooter with me. Uh, you you've done great adaptations of my work. You do whatever you need to do to make I- this another good movie." I, I'll, I like this, I, I, my version of it, it's kind of similar but slightly different in that Stephen King one day is sitting reading Doctor Sleep and finishes it and stands up and then starts walking towards, like Flanagan's there for some reason, he's just popped around for tea and biscuits and um, and he's sitting in the corner and Stephen King stands up and he's like, you know what, if you want to make a really good adaptation, you got to do it yourself. And he's like, no, 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 Stephen, sit down, sit down, it's okay. Flanagan's got this baby. Flanagan's I was thinking of directing and we'll put <laughs> was... Rob Lowe as Danny Torrance. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine? Oh no, I'll pluck my eyes out now. Um, and I mean, I, once again, I, I, I think a good bit of casting. I, I, I really like Ewan McGregor and mm-hmm. the recreation of Ewan McGregor's face against the broken door. That's... There's something Nicholson about him as well. Mm-hmm. And once again, the fucking balls on any, any actor to want to try and recreate that shot. Yeah, you know it had to be a real weenie shrinker on day one <laughs> when it was like, hey, everybody, we're doing the sequel to The Shining. No biggie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ewan's going to put his face through the hole. He's not going to say, here's Johnny, but, you know, the implication is going to be that, remember this scene from the movie, and he's going to be fine with that. He's going to be fine with that. Are yeah. you Ewan? Ewan? Are you here, Ewan? Ewan, come back. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it it's super cool. I like. I'm not so precious about the Shining. Also, I trust Mike Flanagan not to fuck it up. But I'm also not so precious about the Shining. I'm like, well, if even if Doctor Sleep isn't good, it doesn't make the Shining worse. Well, no, but the thing about that's the genius of the Shining, right? As as a movie and as a book, is that I mean, like King puts out feelers 
in his book to some extended world of of people that have the ability to shine. And the movie, you know, reiterates that through Scatman Crothers, you know, dialogue, you know. But the the book's more based on the, the fact that the hotel is trying to absorb the power and, you know, and get the child and whatnot. The movie doesn't really go down that road. So the way the movie finishes... You can do whatever you want. That's mm-hmm. a self-contained story that has finished there. And if we're picking up that, you know, Danny's 30 years later on and he's not only haunted by the past, but it just so happens that there's other people out there that have the same ability that he has. Well, that's made reference to. And the fact that there's some group that, like, harness that. Like, I'm cool with that. I am totally cool with that because... The Shining is a self-contained story. They want to add more bits to it. That's cool. It can be it can be the the linchpin, the anchor point to whatever they want to do with it, and it doesn't diminish anything at all from it. If anything, it just like I say, like I've watched The Shining twice in the last. Well, I've watched it almost uh, twice in the last month since I got it on four K. Once myself and once with my wife, and. Um, I'd like it finishes and I'm like that, and I get to see more. <laughs> and that's the bit that's I never used to be that way. I used to be like the Chinese finish, and that's cool. And I can't wait to see what to do with it. And if it, if it falls apart, it falls apart. But did I ever think I was ever going to be in a position that I could go and see a sequel to The Shining on the big screen, directed by Mike fucking Flanagan? No, no, never in a million years. So yeah, get, give me it, and I hope it's everything that it chapter two should have been. <laughs> well said um yeah man uh that'll probably wrap this one up you are missing a movie son. what What am i missing dude i think you originally hypothesized a conversation on joker oh right i, I apologize <laughs> out the back door we are three and a half stars uh yeah so let's <laughs> let's talk about the joker uh before we uh we bring her in so the Joker is, of course, uh, directed by Todd Phillips, director of the uh, Hangover movies. It is sort of his homage, uh, Joe Bigo style, uh, <laughs> towards <laughs> the late '70s cinema of like Scorsese and you know basically any script written by Paul Schrader before <laughs> 1983. And, A love letter. Yes, very much so. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, plays Arthur Fleck, uh, who is a dude what has scrambled brains and is getting kicked off the healthcare so he doesn't get his pills. And also a violent incident occurs one night that sort of uh, sends him spiraling into uh, a world of crime and madness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have I sufficiently synopsized... Yeah, that's that's what the that's what IMDb would tell you the movie's about. Right. And you would say the movie is about what? Um I would say that the beauty of this movie is I think it can be read a few different ways. Whereas I would say this movie doesn't know what the fuck it's trying to say. And I, and mm. it, it says it's trying to say a few things, but at the end of the day, it also wants this big ending. And I and I would argue the last thirty minutes of this movie are really really good. Every right. ev- everything from the time that his old buddy from the clown service 
comes to his place with the little guy, mm-hmm. that scene forward, I was having a good time with this movie. Everything up to that, I was like, I I understand what this movie is trying to say. I just don't think it's doing a very good job of it. Mm. And but the 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 reason this movie is so fucking sneaky about that and and if you're not paying attention um you'll you'll think that it's great is because Joaquin Phoenix is great in it. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it. I, yes. I can't understate like he is he is a tour de force in this movie. Right. Like, Without him in that role, this movie is mm, interesting at best yeah yeah i I don't i don't disagree with that i disagree i kind of disagree to an extent with your read on what's happening in the movie but then that comes down to what i think might be happening in the movie and if my theory is right then it's almost like the, the the kind of bullshit backdoor way of getting out of uh inconsistencies to an extent if you know what I mean, um, like I don't like. There's there's a really strong indication in this movie that what happens in this movie doesn't actually happen in this movie. Yes, there is certainly some indication of that, but also, yeah. if that's the case, like there's nothing I hate worse than a movie that's a dream sequence. Yeah, but and- I don't think it's a dream sequence. I think it's him telling how he... like. So the movie is almost bookended. In fact, it pretty much is bookended with him sitting down speaking to a psychiatrist. Yes. A psychiatrist of colour, right? It's a different psychiatrist at the end, but a psychiatrist of colour with a clock on the wall, which is the same time both times you see it. Okay. So it's exactly the same time. Um, in fact, it's been pointed out. I I didn't realize the full extent because I've only seen it only seen it twice in the cinema bowl. Um, but apparently, every single clock in the movie is set at exactly the same time. Um, and the implication being that he is essentially, I mean, because there's there's there, there are lines in the movie where they talk about the time he spent at Arkham that he has no memory of at all. And that's because he's in Arkham. Hmm. He's been in Arkham all along. And what he's telling that psychiatrist at the beginning before, and we don't see on screen before he violently murders her and then dances down the hall with bloody feet prints, is, is essentially a, a fabrication. It's a joke. It's a, a, you know, it's, the, it's the, the wandering mind of a psychotic individual. And all the Bruce Wayne stuff isn't, you know, the not Bruce Wayne, the fucking Father Wayne or whatever his right, name is. Right. Um, all of that stuff is by the by. It doesn't matter. It's all a delusion. It's all a delusion in his head. Um, so there's a very strong indication that that's... And that's why, like, when you watch the movie, like, watch it from a second point, well, a second time. The first time I watched it, I watched it as a linear movie. And I can see maybe where some people you included, might think that the first, I don't know, hour or so is a bit messy or a bit sloppy, but I kind of enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it it set up this idea of a guy who genuinely should be in in therapy or care, who has aspirations of being a comedian without actually understanding what human interaction or humour is. Um, 
I found all that like hugely fascinating, mostly once again because Joaquin Phoenix's performance is absolutely incredible. Um, and he sells that. The kind of painful laugh that he goes through from his disorder that he has at times when he knows that there's nothing he can do to stop it and what's worse is the more it goes on, the more it's going to make people either angry or uncomfortable around them. Um, I thought it was like hugely, <laughs> hugely fascinating. The the him trying to the kind of class stuff it raises, which I know a lot of people are really anchoring in as if this is some sort of once again like a class movie. I really don't think it is. I think if people are reading that into it, you're reading too much into it. And I don't understand why DC movies are the ones that always get hit with this, but Marvel movies get a pass. Like I I don't I don't understand like so a DC goes for a darker tone, so it must be it must be trying to convey a message. But because a Marvel movie is... This is why Martin Scorsese comes out and says the stuff he says. Because everyone thinks every movie needs to have a political message. And movies do not need to have a political message. They can just be about stuff. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know I, mean? but I also feel like a movie like this... Like, Taxi Driver has a point of view. It has, yeah, it, it has movie, a point of view on its central character. Whereas yeah. Joker doesn't ever seem to have a moral point of view about the behavior of its main character. Right, but what I would say, right, right, so we'll take that premise and we'll work even, we'll work forward with it. So why <laughs> do, well, right, so yeah. if you look at a superhero movie, for example, from the Marvel Universe where our entire city is destroyed, mm-hmm. um, is a moral perspective from your opinion, look how reckless these superheroes are crashing into buildings that are full of people. No, I mean, because that has so been... So why does that get a pass? <laughs> well, because that's been a point addressed in the films. Like, that's kind of what... Uh, uh, shit, that third Avengers movie, or, or maybe eh, one of those. Anyway, there's a whole bit in one of one of them Avengers movies. Uh, or no, 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 shit. It's uh, a Civil War, the Captain America movie. Um, where it's all about like, oh, well, you did this thing and innocent people died. So are superheroes really? Should they be allowed to run roughshod? And so it's something that came up in the films. It, it, it was the thrust of a big storyline in the movies and stuff like that. So I would argue Marvel, how but, many but <laughs> how far is civil war into your right. But, but I don't, I also don't think that Joker is trying to be a superhero movie. I, you know, I don't think Joker's is trying to be a, a movie that just because a movie emulates ideas from a movie like taxi driver doesn't mean it's trying to be taxi driver. No, I, I agree. And I'm not saying that, that Todd Phillips, as a director, like th- th- this is ultimately my my whole problem with with Joker. I think, and uh, yeah, the, the, is the, that the, right? It, is that at the end of the day, the movie doesn't seem to know what it thinks about the character of Joker. Like in, I'm trying to think of another movie where the movie itself seems so ambivalent about its subject. And like even uh, like Mosquito Coast, maybe I'm that it's a weird example, but like the character of Harrison Ford in that movie kind of vacillates between hero and villain, but ultimately lands on villain. And yeah, I don't think like Joker's never a hero. Like, like I, I don't think I think that's. But I think even if you look at it from the point of view of a delusion, right? Um, well, but there's also this this subtext in the film that. Joker, the reason that Joker ultimately snaps 
is because he has fallen through the cracks of this system and mm-hmm. therefore is somewhat deserving of our sympathy. Like, you know, this is a guy that should be getting help and and we as a society or the society shown in the film turns its back on him. And but isn't that every villain though? Like every mm-hmm. villain to an extent is someone that usually holds a grudge because something isn't done that might potentially help them. Right. But I, like, I, don't, I don't like just because he doesn't get his meds, you know what I mean? Right. But then why, why show him getting shit on concept? Like if he's the villain, he should be winning in this scenario, you know, like, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but I just, I, I think that's the problem with this movie is that it wants it both ways where Joker is simultaneously the hero and villain of the movie. Yeah, I don't, but see, I don't think it ever tries to make him a hero. Uh, I think I think from the, the outset, yeah, you see him get hit with a board, right, which might be, in my opinion, the only sympathetic thing that happens to the character. From after that point, he takes a gun to. He, he doesn't understand. Like there's a there's a weirdness about him that he, he takes a gun with him to a kid's performance. Mm-hmm. He you know he murders some people. Right, granted they were maybe not necessarily doing nice things to women throwing fries at right. her. Well, the, right, bullies, he, he's. But- he, I mean, it, it goes over the top. But the act itself is sort of a heroic act of I'm going to, in a situation where no one helped me when I was being harassed, I am going to be that person that helps this woman. And again, it's misguided and he fucks it up, but that's the, that's the impulse. And that's, that's why the act I think is, I mean, if, if he didn't murder them, if he left them hanging upside down from a web, it would be Spider-Man's origin story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but here, here's my, my 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 thoughts on this are that the in general press and media ramped up months before this movie came out how it was going to be this kind of uh, propaganda tool oh, um, right. yeah. for for you know like all this pish right all this right. like it, it's utter bullshit like it, none of that this movie is not nearly as deep as any of that no and if I'm Todd Phillips I'm loving all the fucking right. copious amounts of free publicity I got on top of this but what, here's my thing here's my here's my counter to this right my counter to this is people are seeing right one of two things right the first thing is the way they introduce it and this is not a dig at you I think the way you did it is the right way to do it but people there's a a weird condescension in the tone of people that say, oh, directed by the guy that did the Hangover movies. As if, like, the, all the guy can do is do dumb fucking movies. Oh, I did not mean to suggest no, no, that. That's, no, no, that's not you. That's what I said. The way you did it is the right way to do it, which is like, he did the Hangover movies. That's that's he's, that's the one he's going to be most notably known for because that movie was fucking huge financial success. Sure, all and, of them, And I would yeah. argue, funny movie. Um but like the, the, there's a, co- a condescension with that, and then on the same thing, they talk about you know how clever the movie's trying to be and all the rest, and it can't be both ways. It can't be look at this director that does dumb movies trying to be this super smart. But, like it, it can't be that way. It is what it, a movie is at times. What a movie is, and the way I interpret the movie, which may be different to how other people interpret the movie, is the ramblings. The confessions, the, the the almost a Patrick Bateman esque, you know, this confession has meant nothing. 
um, confessions of someone who is mentally deranged and locked up. And maybe the events happened the way they did. Maybe he was just a comedian who killed another comedian on stage. You know, or maybe there were like I I don't know. There's nothing in this movie to indicate at all by the end of it that the character you're seeing is the Joker that you know from anything else. Oh, I I mean, it can't possibly be. Like, uh, the existence of an an honest-to-goodness Batman in this universe would be ridiculous. Yeah. Which is is why, like, I'm for the idea of this movie. I like the the idea of just, like, let's do this weirdo spinoff of this universe and see what it looks like. I'm not against that by any stretch. I just, and, you know, I kind of alluded to it a second ago. I just think this movie, it feels like it ought to be deep, and it's just not. It's just a really good tour de force by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, but I, I, but then I, once again, I would I would say that, does this movie need to be deep? I don't think it does. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it needs to be anything other than, a two to force performance, but, but it also is shot like a movie that would be deep, you know. Yeah, but, like, like, yeah, but, it, it's shot like the fucking deer hunter, but yeah, it, but, but it doesn't play out nearly as cool. You're talking about depth and whatnot. You're speaking to the guy that dem- like practically demands subtext of the movies he watches. I purposely want my movies. To be in a position, there's a reason that I have a particular read on this movie that I see. You know, I like the idea of subtext and like depth novels, but I understand that occasionally a movie is just a movie, regardless how well it's shot, regardless how well it's acted. Sometimes a movie is just a movie, and I think, and I, I it seems to be with DC movies, not all of them, uh, but it seems to be with DC seems to be with DC movies, particularly in the area of the Batman spectrum. Um, and it maybe is Christopher Nolan's fault to an extent, but it seems that we we seem to expect more of these movies when they start to inject elements of realism into yeah. you know when when they try and ground them a bit more, we then start adding in all these. Well, if it's grounded in a level of realism, then it, it has to be political or it has to be you know like a statement on this or a statement of that. And what I'm saying is that just because the vehicle might be parked. In a bay which is a bit more realistic or grounded in an environment, or paying homage to movies that are very much statements of not only the time that they came out, but the social political environment of the time, doesn't mean that the Joker is. And I think where the movie, I think you're 100 percent right that this this movie is a vehicle for Joaquin Phoenix, who um, I would give an Oscar to this performance. I think the performance is absolutely captivating and incredible mm-hmm. and disturbing and dark and wonderful and I love that thing that I read online where there was a statement from the Academy saying that they don't think um, like the Joker's performance should be considered uh, should be something considered as Oscar worthy and someone had wrote on Twitter saying says the people that gave an Oscar to a fish fucking movie two years ago. And I was like, <laughs> yep, that seems fair. That seems fair. Um, but, you know, as as a vehicle for that. But what we had, in my opinion, was incredible cinematography. Um, this, this dark, disturbing world, which emotes like not only um, like, how fame can come out, like how toxic fame can be to an extent, 
um, but also takes, I, I thought, like, one of the people that isn't getting discussed, and I don't know why in terms of the movie, is I think Robert De Niro turns in maybe the best performance he's done in, like, the last 20 years. So, <laughs> like, he's really, really good in this. He's smarmy and cheesy and he's delivery. I, I, I really liked him in the movie. I think um, even out with that, what's her face from Six Feet Under? Princess Conroy, yeah. Yeah, I think she's brilliant. I think once again, there's like there's also little like nods to is you know if this is real, is what she's saying about um, Bruce Wayne Senior. I don't know, is it Bruce Wayne Senior? I don't know what his name is. Uh, Martha and Mister Mister John Wayne. <laughs> John Wayne Gacy, yeah. uh, Pogo the Clown, uh, like there, there's <laughs> all that stuff kind of falls apart when he reads the you know the psychiatrist notes. But then when she dies, he finds a picture and written on the back is his initials. Um, you know, like as like uh, Wayne Senior's initials are on the back of this photo of of her, which makes it like maybe it is. So there's there's lots of bits and bobs that can go on the way, but the the key thing is like the Joker from the start is an unreliable narrator. Yeah, and, and that's why yeah. people were like, oh, the whole thing with the woman, you know, like you know, it seemed a bit shoehorned. It was like, what part did that seem shoehorned? Like he imagines himself being on the TV show and having comment. Like there's there's all these. There's all these elements that prove that he's an unreliable narrator. So when you start to accept that, I and I know what you're saying. It is the it's, I usually would be more cynical and say, well, of course, it's the bullshit cop out way of well, it can be taken anyway. But you know, there's a part of that when you're dealing with that, like you can look at certain things and say, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But maybe that's just the way he's perceiving it. I, I don't know. I. I, I I I thought it was a I thought it was a great movie. I like genuinely thought it was a great movie, and I was the guy if you remember who was like that. I hope it's good, but but it is a Joker movie, and right. I like Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's great, but it is a Joker movie, and that's not my world. And I think the fact that it maybe isn't of that world is why I came out of just like adoring it. Like I, I genuinely think it's a brilliant fucking movie. Um, and worthy of all the praise that it did get, and sadly, uh, it's a lot of pot shots have been flung at it. And I'm not, once again, not saying it's you, but I read a lot of these pot shots, and I'm like, that—that's you injecting your politics into the conversation here. That's not yeah, what I, Todd Phillips never said he was doing anything about fucking incels or the you know the right wing or class oh, warfare yeah, or anything no, like that. You know, it's, he never said any of that. That's you put that in there, right? All that stuff that popped out ahead of this movie's release is is nonsense. None of it that. Gibberish, none yeah. of that is in the movie. It is that was just some ginned up new shit. Um, yeah. The movie, yeah. The, the movie itself, the the word that kind of came up uh, both uh, after I saw the movie and then a couple of reviews I've read afterwards. That I was like, it's weird that I've seen this word pop up three times that I can think of. Is mm-hmm. that it is it is a an honest to goodness jaw dropping performance from Joaquin Phoenix in a movie that ultimately feels a little hollow outside of that performance. Mm-hmm. And but you know that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. And uh, and, and I certainly would I would recommend the movie just to see Joaquin Phoenix in it. Because there, oh, are, yeah. there are moments and the scene in his apartment following him kind of exploding on 
his old work buddy. Yeah. And the little guy asking to be let out of the apartment. It was one of my favorite scenes of the year. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible because right to the last minute you don't know what's going to happen. Right, that was that was the point where I was like, I'm into this movie all of a sudden. Yeah, and and from that point to the end, I was kind of with it. Uh, but when he's when he is putting the like finally becoming the titular Joker of the movie, and he ha- he's getting his he's getting his glad rags on, the hair's getting mm-hmm. dyed, the face paint's going on. That scene happens, and then he starts dancing down that flight of stairs. I'm just like, to me, that's the power of cinema. I'm like, this is fucking incredible. And all he's doing is dancing down a flight of stairs and smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? It's it's weird how just like some scenes like grab your attention in such a way where you feel like everything in the movie has been leading to this one scene. And it's not explosions and things like, if this was another comic book movie or comic book book adaptation or any other movie, this would be like an orgy of violence or buildings exploding or, you know, whatever. In this movie, it's a guy dancing down a flight of stairs. And that's arguably one of the more pivotal scenes in the movie. And that's where I'm just like, this is great. I I really, really do. There's there's talk if if they make a sequel, they make a sequel. Um, I personally wouldn't. I would leave it as a standalone yeah. ent- entity. I think you've done everything you've done. I think Joaquin Phoenix has set a, like, a benchmark so high on that performance where, I mean, people are talking. I find it difficult to hold the conversation of who is the best Joker because that denotes that all the performances are of the same level by the same, you know, and the same tone and delivered in the same manner, and you can't do that. That'd be like comparing like a, a fucking a, a drama to a comedy. You can't do that. You can compare apples and apples and oranges and oranges. That's how you do it. So when people are talking about that, all you can see is what is your favorite performance, not what is the best performance, right. but it's what is your favorite performance. My favorite performance of the Joker ever captured on screen is Joaquin Phoenix. I think there's something about that character that will stay with me. And it's weird you mentioned Taxi Driver because everyone mentions Taxi Driver. When I think of Robert De Niro, the performance that always comes up my mind is Travis Pickle. It's, it always will be that way. I, that's to me, that's him. That's the that he personified a character that was terrifying on screen to the point like I mean that movie, his performance in it is as close to a horror performance out with you know, argued Kate Fear performance as a like for him. And Joaquin Phoenix did exactly the same in Joker and that he is pulled in a performance to me which is so layered and so deep and so mystifying, yet absolutely terrifying at points. So like you see a guy just trying to leave a door and you're like, what the fuck is what is going on? Yeah. I, like to me, that's like there's no way I can't go because the the all the other performances to me are one dimensional. Mm, they're all I, comic, I, they're all they're all comic book villains to me. All the they, other ones. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, the the Dark Knight gets a little deeper than that. I'm I'm a yeah. big fan of that interpretation. Of the he's character. he's he's really really good at what he does in it, but he's an anarchist. And right, he's and always a, he's always he's always an anarchist. Though from the very start, he's an anarchist. To the very end, he's an he's, anarchist. That's true, but I do like the fact that they get real playful with who, yeah. who he is and where he came from. And yeah, yeah. there there's something that gives him by virtue of his seeming anonymity. 
it gives him a weird kind of depth. You yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But uh, but to your point, right? It's it's unfair to compare that performance to the Joaquin Phoenix performance because it's just so there's he's got so much more to do. <laughs> yeah. The movie is totally about him and him alone and. And, Plus and the he's tone is completely different. A hundred percent. Again, it's completely different. Right. This is not by any stretch a superhero movie. This no. is a drama with superhero trappings at best. Yes. Um, yeah. It touches on there are certain moments that happen in it that nod to that world without explicitly going into that world at all. Right. Right. Um that was a good right. conversation. I enjoyed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it, but it, it's a, it's a fascinating movie, and it, it's one of those that, like I said, I'm glad that it got made, and I, I hope it's done well enough for them to do some other weird shit with that universe because yeah. I'm all for, you know, some of my favorite stuff, even in the Marvel side of things, is when they're like, hey, we've got this whole comic called What If, and it's just weird shit. Like, what if the Hulk had Wolverine's claws? And you that's a whole issue of the comic. And you're like, I don't know, that's stupid, but it's cool somehow. Um, why would he need them? <laughs> right. Why why would they ever do that? That seems like a horrible idea to give the Hulk adamantium skeleton and claws. Yeah, I, I, I think what they should do is not fall into the trap in that every character needs a movie like this. I think the, yeah. the Star Wars universe is getting like that, where they're like, let's do a Boba Fett movie. And I'm like, really? <laughs> He's he's in the he's in one movie for less than five minutes. Do we need the backstory of Boba Fett? They've they've canned that shit pretty well yeah. though at this point where they're just like yeah. nope. Um, yeah, but I, like that way where like had Solo been a success though, you know for a fact you would have had that movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what I'm saying is Joker has been a success. It's made a lot of fucking money. I'm I'm, I'm glad that we as a society when it came to Solo and that ilk that just as as a a culture we were like. No, no, it, we're fine. See, I liked Solo. I thought Solo was a fun movie. I thought it was like Indiana Jones in space, and I'm cool with that. 100% cool with that. Um, I don't think it was an amazing movie, but I think for a Solo origin story, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think because it didn't do, what, $40 billion or something, because it was released like a couple of weeks after one of the fucking Avengers $40 billion generated movies. It, seen, it was seen as a financial disaster or whatever, when it more than made its money back. Uh, I think it speaks more to the studio putting the movies out than it does to the quality of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you call shots fired at Disney. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Disney. <laughs> take, that, take that, Disney. Yeah, hope, hope you can comfort yourself at night when you're sitting in your beds of billions and this has been the last episode of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Before, we by Disney. <laughs> before Disney stomped it out. Like Disney a, bought it and replaced it with yeah. two hosts completely sympathetic to Disney called Funkin' and Roe. Yeah. I'm Funkin' and this is Roe. Hi everyone, I'm Roe. And we're here to talk about The Mandalorian. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. First episode directed by Eli Roth. He's our favorite director. It's already the best show I've ever seen, and I haven't even seen it. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> you can follow me on Letterboxd at Funkin' and Row. <laughs> well, what, what, what's alarming me is it's clearly so late in the UK that the best I could come up with adaptations of our names was just replacing the first letter. Yeah, that's a Monty Python shit. That's that's <laughs> that's what you can expect from UK humor. 
<laughs> First there was Billy Connolly. Now there's Duncan McLeish. To tickle your funny bone. <laughs> By swapping the first layer of names to other layers. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> folks, we appreciate you listening. Of course. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, little sidebar of an episode. Just talking about some movies, what we've been watching. And, oh, awesome. uh, um, yeah, it, it, I'll tell you, you get your money's worth out of these review episodes. We reviewed, by my count, 216 movies. <laughs> that seems like you're maybe selling us a bit short there, Bo. I, look, I, I left out the, uh, detour about Cronenberg's early work. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll cut that part of it out, but no, um, this will be, uh, two weeks from now, you will he be hearing the first episode of Duncan and Bo get terrified and, uh, we'll get into the terror infamy, which I am real excited about doing. Yeah. Infamy, infamy, the ball got it infamy. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. Duncan, anything uh, you want to pimp before we get out of here? No, I'm going to shut up before I hit <laughs> you anymore. I think that's for the best. All right, folks. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, Duncan and Bo get terrified. <laughs> Say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Ow! <laughs> Isn't it Are we a pair? Me here at last on the ground, you in midair, send in the clouds. Isn't it?
be clouds. 